Well, thanks, Shay. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, I do appreciate the fact that we go to a church that honors the gifts and talents of all of our people who attend here. So it is an honor. I love to speak God's word. I do love to teach. And uh, yeah, I'm a woman. So <laughs> I'd like to, thanks for pointing that out. Well, hey, if you were not here last week, or perhaps it's your very first week here, you've entered into our second week of a series titled You in five years. And if you missed last week, we would love for you to go and catch up at grandma.com slash messages because this is actually an incredible series. I'm super excited to be a part of it. But let me give you the premise for you in five years. You will end up, if you're still alive in five years, you will end up somewhere. And you can end up in that place intentionally and end up a better version of you or you could just let life happen to you and live unintentionally, which let's be honest, we kind of are good at that, right? We just let life happen to us. And then we could end up somewhere in five years that we don't really want to be. We could end up an exaggerated version of current us. And Shay shared that thought last week. And he said, future you is an exaggerated version of current you. And I don't know if perhaps like that gave you the feeling it gave me, because I kind of went, ooh, like, I don't know that I like that, because I tend to be really, really critical, especially of myself. I tend to think really negative thoughts, I tend to say negative things, and if I'm completely honest, I tend to be critical and negative of other people. So I thought, ugh, if I don't do something about that in five years, Am I gonna be more critical of myself and more critical of others? And I thought, yep, that's exactly what that means. You see, if you're critical now, in five years, you're probably gonna be more critical. If you're in debt now, in five years, without any change of course, without any intentionality, you're likely to be more in debt. If you are unfaithful now, if you are undedicated now if you happen to be unkind or impatient. Garrett, I hear you with traffic. He's like, oh, I gear up to just get through the traffic every day as he has this long commute. You're gonna be even more impatient in the future. But on the flip side, on the positive side, see, I tend to look to the negative first. I'm, I'm working at it, I'm really working at it. On the flip side, if you're kind now, in five years, you're more than likely gonna be kinder. If you are not, if you spend your money wisely now, in five years you'll be richer or you'll be less in debt. If you're devoted now to your family, to your community, to God, you'll be all the more devoted and wiser then. But here's the truth, we don't end up kind, and wise, devoted and disciplined by accident, nobody stumbles into disciplined living. It takes intentional, daily, and sometimes minute by minute decisions to choose thoughts and words and actions that will lead us to where we wanna be, but more importantly, lead us to who we want to be in the future. But the question that begs to be answered is how do we get there? How do I not end up an exaggerated version of the current version of me? How do I end up a more disciplined, devoted, faithful, debt-free, bondage-free, worry-free, fear-free, confident, 
of me, the version that I was created to be. How do we get there? And I wanna tell you that this is not a Christian thing. I don't assume that everyone in this room is a Jesus follower. Perhaps you came, you're here because you saw a yard sign or you saw a funny video on Facebook and you just thought, I'm just gonna check this God thing out. Can I say I'm so excited that you're here today? And this message, wherever you are, whether you're following Jesus, you're just not sure yet, and maybe you just are not even interested in Jesus and your parents dragged you here, or maybe somebody said, hey, if you just come with me, I'll take you to lunch afterwards. You're like, oh, I'm up for free lunch. I could, you know, deal with an hour of listening to somebody on stage. Didn't think it was a woman, but okay, you know, I'll do this with free, free food. But right, we, sorry, we don't, this is not a Christian thing. This is a human thing being thing. And we say this a lot here at Gramla. We say that we believe that following Jesus makes your life better and it makes you better at life because God wants a better life for you. And that's what you and God have in common no matter where you are. Because I don't know anyone who says, you know what, in five years, I really hope to be addicted to pornography. In five years, I, I, I really hope that I drink way more than I drink right now. You know what? In five years, I hope I'm 15 pounds heavier. <laughs> or gosh, you know what? In five years, I hope that I am more selfish and my anger is more out of control than it is today. In fact, I hope it's so much so, so that my spouse decides to leave me. No one wants a worse life, yet most of us end up where we don't want to be by heading in the exact direction that we're going right now. So how do we do it? How do we change course? Well, one of the ways we do that is by looking at the past. We can learn from someone who did it right. We can learn from someone who took this action, who said, you know what, I don't wanna be an exaggerated version of who I am right now. I wanna be better. I want what God's plan is for my life. So I'm gonna tell you about a man named Elisha. He lived in Israel around 800 BC, and he was a prophet of God. And now just simply stated, a prophet of God was somebody who God would teach who God would speak to, he would give words of encouragement, he would give sometimes words of warning, and then this man would go out and he would tell the people what God had told them. And so Elisha was one of those men. He was chosen by God to be a prophet. And Elisha had a mentor, and his name was Elijah. And you're thinking, hmm, I wish it was like Sam and Bob. Like, God, you could have made that just a tiny bit easier for us. But we have Elisha, and we have Elijah, and I will try to enunciate so that we don't get this confused. But Elijah is the mentor. And Elijah is known as one of the most powerful miracle-working prophets. In fact, Elijah said one time, told the king and queen of Israel said, hey, you know what? It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And it did not rain for three years. And also too, Elijah sometimes had very difficult words to give to the king and the queen of Israel. And the king and queen didn't like him very much. And they actually called for his head on a platter. They didn't like him at all. They wanted him dead. And so many times Elijah was running for his life. And one of these times Elijah was alone and God said, hey, Elijah, I have something for you. I have someone for you. 
someone that I want for you to train, someone that I want to rise up underneath you, and his name was Elisha. And so we find this story in the Old Testament, the Old Testament being the first half of the Bible that documents the nation of Israel, how it was formed, that documents the promises that God gave to this nation and the promise that a savior would come out of it who we know to be Jesus. And within the Old Testament is a book called Kings. And it's called Kings because it documents the reigns of the kings of Israel. And so we're gonna look at 1 Kings today, chapter 19. I'm gonna read you a little bit about the encounter between Elijah and Elisha, and then I promise that I'm going to connect that to what that has to do with us in five years. And it says this, it says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, like Sam and Bob, right? Son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then he walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. You're like, hmm, that sounds nice. And he passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. And if you're like me, the first time I read that, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. It sounds kind of like a pork roast, like 4th of July is coming up. So <laughs> pig roast, not sure, but I'm gonna break it down for you. And I'm, I'm gonna point out, let's look at what we know. So what we know from this this story first is that Elisha's father is exceedingly wealthy. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing a field and there were 12 teams of oxen. Now for us, we're like, yeah, oxen, that sounds great. That sounds like a lot of poop I have to pick up in the field. Like, I don't even know, that's 24 oxen. But to the reader at the time, they would have thought, holy oxen. That's not funny, okay, thanks. All right. Oh my goodness, this Shaphat guy, he is really, really rich. I mean, like, really rich. We're talking like successful farming, like today, where you own the corn combine, every piece of high-tech equipment, no matter what it cost. Uh, let's bring it maybe a little bit more relatable. Anybody watch a Million Dollar Listing? I sometimes, yeah, okay, thanks. Those people admitted it. I sometimes get hooked because it's this awesome, it's the, like the wealthiest people in America with the most incredible houses you've ever seen. This is Shafat. He owns the most successful real estate business and he is selling the million dollar mansions in LA. I mean, this guy is wealthy. And Elisha, the son, is working in this industry. And he stands to inherit all of his father's wealth. And now not always, but most likely with wealth comes an ease of living, material-wise anyways. Elisha's not worrying about where his next meal's coming from. He probably lives in more than adequate housing, with fine clothing and servants. I mean, he, he's, Elisha has it really well, and this will play into our story. Okay, so what's the second thing we know? We know that Elisha has a choice because Elijah comes over to him, he throws his cloak across his shoulder, and then Elijah walks away. Again, we're going, yeah, I don't really know. I don't pick up what you're putting down here, Elijah. But what Elijah is doing it's a cloak was a very important piece of clothing at this time. And so he picks up, he takes his cloak and he throws it over Elisha's shoulders and he walks away. 
Elijah is extending an invitation to Elisha. Elisha, I've got something for you. I know you've got all the wealth and I know you've got comfort, but I've got something bigger for you. But I'm not gonna make you choose. So I'm gonna walk away. It is your decision. Elisha has a choice. He's given an incredible opportunity to change the course of his life. And now Elijah was a very powerful prophet. And Elisha probably knew of Elijah and probably knew Elijah's fate. Like the king and queen want to kill you. Like you should probably stop saying the things you're saying because your fate is not really great at this moment. So Elijah's saying, Elisha, you have a choice. You know who I am. You know what you're giving up. What will you choose? And the third thing we can pull out of this story is that Elisha chooses to become Elijah's apprentice, and he took immediate action. It says, Elisha left the oxen standing there, and he ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my mother and father goodbye, and then I will go with you. And then he returns to his oxen, and he slaughters them. He slaughters them. Then he takes the plow that he was doing. He takes the actual tools that he was using to make the living he was living, living and he burns them. Elisha was committing and pledging his total devotion to Elijah. He's like, there is no going back because I am literally killing my old way of life. I am putting flames to it. There is no going back. All right, well, this is where our story intersects with you in five years. In the story of Elisha, there are three decisions that he makes that we can take, that we can learn from, that can help prevent us from just becoming an exaggerated version of who we currently are and propel us to the version that God has called us to be. And trust me on this, God's version, his plan for your life is exceedingly better than any plan you could ever have for yourself. Because you see, God is for you. And you say, well, how do you know that? How do you, you don't know me. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know what I've been through. How do you know that God is for me? I know that God is for you because he allowed his perfect, sinless son to take upon him my sins, my selfishness, my critical nature, my negativity, my thoughtlessness, my mistakes. He allowed his son to bear that for me, to demonstrate for me just how much he's for me and just how much his plan is far better than any plan I could ever have for myself. And God knows that following him in the next five years will lead you to a life of more fulfillment, more joy, more purpose, more meaning that you could have ever known. So let's look at these three decisions. The first decision is this drastic action. Elijah went over to Elisha, he throws his cloak around his shoulders, and it says Elisha left the auction standing there. He ran after Elijah, he didn't even wait. Elisha's like, what, me, you've chosen me? I don't care what I have to leave behind, absolutely, I'm going. I'm gonna see this opportunity. I'm gonna take drastic action. It says he returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He's like, I am burning my old life. There is no going back. I'm not even gonna leave a chance, not even a temptation for me because regardless of what comes from following you, God, 
I am going to stay with you. I will not go back. I'm literally setting flames to my old life. And you know, so many of us desire a different life. But desire isn't enough, and we know it. I desire to lose weight, but if I don't ever get up off the couch, those pounds are never going anywhere. I desire to be more generous, but until I actually take the checkbook out of my pocket and I start giving away money, I will never be more generous. Many of us desire to be closer to God, but if we have not taken any steps to move closer to him, our relationship with him will remain exactly where we are today. You see, desire isn't enough to change us. We know that as human beings. We know that desire isn't enough. It takes drastic action to get us going. And let me illustrate it like this. A spaceship, when it's leaving Earth, it uses more fuel just to get off the ground than it does for the entire flight combined. It's just science. Sir Isaac Newton told us this, right? This, he said this. He said, every object will remain at rest or in uniform motion in a straight line unless compelled to change its state by the action of an external force. And I love this, every object, because newsflash, I'm an object, we're objects, and you know what? We just wanna stay the same. We wanna remain the same. We might not say that we wanna stay the same, but our actions show it, right? We stay stuck in the ways that we let in unless there is an external force applied against us that causes us to move. The title of this week's message is called In the Absence of a Crisis. Because in a crisis situation, that external force that's pressed against us, right, that forces us to move. When you receive a diagnosis of cancer, diabetes, man, you are forced to change because now you've got to go to more doctor's offices and now you've got to take medication and now you've got to receive treatment, man. There is a crisis that exerts an external force on you that causes you to change. A few years back, my daughter was playing and I heard crash and I'm thinking, holy cow, right? There is nothing in me that's going to go, hmm, that sounded great. I think that turned out well. No, there is a crisis. You hear your kid fall down the steps and let me tell you, you are compelled to move. You are running for help. So in a crisis situation, we can change. But what about when there isn't a crisis? What about when we know we need to change, but there's not that external force that forces us? How do we get unstuck? How do we change, especially in the absence of that crisis when we know it, but we mistakenly or foolishly believe that we have more time? Elisha was not in a crisis situation when Elijah offered him the chance of a lifetime, a chance to have more influence, a chance to have more purpose than he could ever imagine. And Elisha did not sit and ponder, hmm, what road should I take? No, he took drastic action. And the first decision that we have to make, if we're going to be somebody different, if we're going to be somewhere better in five years, is that we have to take a drastic action too. If you desire to be debt-free, maybe your drastic action is you're going to go home and you're going to take out your credit card and you're going to cut it up. 
And you're gonna say, I will no longer spend money I do not have, right? Maybe your drastic action is that you're gonna show up here for the rest of this series. You wanna be closer to God and you just haven't figured out how that works yet. Again, we're so glad you're here. And that doesn't seem like drastic action, but to some people it might. To show up to church like three, four, five weeks, he's like, do you, that's a lot of weeks in a row. Like I can do one, but like two, right? Maybe your drastic action is just showing up here. For some of you, you've been following Jesus for a while, but you haven't been baptized. Let me tell you, that is drastic action because you're gonna tell your story in front of your friends, in front of your family. You're gonna be dunked in a tank all the way under. By the way, symbolizing, hey, I'm burning my old life and I'm coming up to a new one. And today's the absolute last day to sign up for baptisms and maybe you're like, all right, I've been on the fence with this Jesus thing, but today I am all in. I am taking drastic action. Decision number two, stay the course. Elisha followed Elijah for 18 years and the only job that we know that he had was that he washed the hands of Elijah. And we have that in 2 Kings. It says, an officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to put water on the hands of Elijah. So this is what I imagine. So Elijah's this great, big, powerful prophet, and he goes out, and he performs his miracles, and he's giving these great sermons, and afterwards there's a meet and greet, right? And he's like, yeah, thanks for coming, thanks for coming, thanks for coming. And Elisha comes behind him, and he pulls out of his pocket the hand sanitizer. He's like, all right. All right, Elijah, put your hands out. We, no, it's flu season. It's flu season. We don't want you to get the flu. And so for 18 years, Elisha follows Elijah around. And it's like hands like me with my kids, you know, pumping it after they get out of the nursery. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, hand, moms laughed because they know what I'm saying. All right, so that's not really what that means, but that's how I imagine it, right? 18 years though, Elisha humbly follows Elijah. Whatever you need. We don't hear of a great sermon he gives. We don't hear of a miracle he performs. He doesn't have any notoriety. There's no fame. There's no recognition. There's no nothing. He's just following Elijah around, humbly serving him. 18 years. I mean, that's the time to go from an infant to graduating from high school. That's a long time. 18 years of just following and learning. 18 years of slow, steady progression. 18 years of day-by-day decisions to stay the course. And what Elisha would learn in the 18 years of slow, steady progression, the decision day in and day out to stay committed to staying the course, to stay committed to humbly serving alongside his master would pay off in huge ways. And I ask you this. What would your life look like if you decided to commit day in and day out to moving towards who you wanted to be in five years? What would your life look like? What would your relationship with God look like in five years if you said, you know what, I'm just gonna set my alarm and I'm gonna get up 15 minutes earlier and I'm just gonna read one chapter of the Bible every day, day in, day out, whether I felt like it or not, whether I got a lot of sleep the night before or not, just 15 minutes earlier, one chapter. What would your health look like if you just stuck to a plan? And even a plan as simple as, let's just say 15 minutes, you're just gonna walk 15 minutes every day, rain or shine, winter, summer, 
fall, spring, whatever the season may be, maybe Planet Fitness, you don't have a lot of excuses, 10 bucks a month, right? So, you know, I live in Michigan, it snows like 10 months a year, that's all right, we got Planet Fitness. What if just 15 minutes a day? What would your health look like in five years if you were summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, year one, year two, year three? I'd venture to say that you would be a completely different person health-wise. What would your credit card balance look like if you decided, this is hard for me because my husband was like, you need to hide your Starbucks addiction a little better because he was cleaning out my car. He's got like three Starbucks. That just happened literally this morning. Like three Starbucks cups. I'm like, oh yeah, each of those didn't cost $5. So what would your credit card debt look like if you said, okay, I'm only gonna get Starbucks once a week instead of five. So four days a week, I'm gonna just make coffee at home or for some of you, the dollar menu at McDonald's, wherever it may be, but I'm only gonna go through the drive-thru once a week. And those other four days, I'm gonna save that five bucks. If you take $5 times four days times 52 weeks times five years, that's $5,200. From a simple decision to not spend $5 four days a week, what would your bank account, your savings account look like? That is steady, slow progression. And let me tell you that over time, that slow, steady progression ends up with compounded effects. And in this case, compounded effects in your benefit. A drastic force, a drastic measure is what gets us going but it is slow, steady progression over time that leads us to this third decision that Elijah made, and that's this. He decided to ride the wave. I made that one up because I'm sure they weren't surfing in Israel, but anyways, he rode the wave. Uh, remember that space shuttle example that I gave? It takes more fuel to get off the ground than it does for the rest of the flight put together. You see, the shuttle has to break free from what's holding it back, from what's holding it at rest, but once it does, once it is free from the gravitational pull, it could literally go on forever. It experiences what we call momentum. That's that second part of that law of motion, right? That objects in motion wanna stay in motion. And by the way, stay in motion in a straight line, like going straight towards my goal. I will not veer to the left. I will not veer to the right. Once I get that steady progression day after day, making those good decisions, I can ride the wave. I can go forward in a straight motion and in a straight motion with less effort, right? Because what we do day after day after day becomes a habit. A habit is just something we do, right? I don't even have to think about setting my alarm 15 minutes earlier to get up to spend time with God because it's just what I do. It's just who I am. I don't have to wonder, you know, debate with myself for 30 minutes. Should I move today? Should I work out today? Should I? No, I just get up and I just do it. It's just who I am. My husband, he does the dishes every night after dinner. And I don't think he does the dishes because he like loves doing dishes or because he's like, man, I have so much energy after a long, stressful day in traffic, right? Like I just feel so good. I'm just going to do these dishes. No, he does it because he loves me. And our marriage benefits because of his humble commitment to do something as little as the dishes. But here's the truth, which I like the law of motion, our marriage experiences a lot of momentum because of his daily choice 
to serve me, to show me that he loves me. There came a point in Elisha's life when 18 years of serving Elijah was over. Elijah was about to go. He was about to go inherit his reward for his faithful service to God. And Elisha was gonna follow after him. And Elijah indeed became a great prophet. In fact, he performed more miracles than his master, Elijah. And you know what's incredible? Is that his life is recorded for us so that we still read about it. We still know who he is today. His life is recorded in 2 Kings, and I don't ask you to take my word for it. I would encourage you to go home and read it for yourself. Elisha's name is still remembered because he took drastic action. If he would have stayed comfortable at Shaphat Industries, we wouldn't know who he was. He would be like the millions and millions of people who have come before him, who have lived and died and never been remembered. But we know who he is because he took that drastic action. And because for 18 years, he chose to just humbly serve alongside his master. And then after that 18 years, he was rewarded with an incredible ministry, with incredible influence. Now, I know most of us here, we're, our names are never gonna be recorded in a history book. You know, like 50 years from now, they're not gonna open up a book and it's gonna say, you know, Shea Prisk of, you know, whatever. But don't fool yourselves. You're gonna leave a legacy. You'll leave a legacy. And it can be one of health, debt-free living. It could be one of faithfulness to God. But it also could be a negative legacy. See, who you become in five years is so much bigger than just about who you are. Every person who's underneath your influence, you're influencing. And you have a choice. You can take drastic action. I think every one of us here knows what we need to do. And then once you take that drastic action, you gotta slow and steady. You gotta stay the course day in, day out, whether you feel like it. Because one day all of that will lead to momentum, will lead to a life that when you're done at the end, you can go, yep, I ran that race. And you can say, take over, kids. I'm going on to my reward.